0: Well, today uh, we're we're starting a, a new series, and um, I've had the I've been given the opportunity to preach for a couple weeks, and and uh, at the end of the summer we'll be finishing out this series. So it's going to be a two part series, um, but today um, we're going to be diving into this. But every person, most of us here and and around the world, every person since the beginning of time has questioned something in their lives. And we know it doesn't matter the topic. It could be questions like, very, you know, very deep, what is the meaning of life? Maybe it's a little less deep, how do birds fly? Or More importantly, what is the best ice cream flavor? Which if you go to North End, their peppermint ice cream, delicious. But then, can I believe in the gospel? Or can I believe that the Bible is True. And I will say that Ellie, my three-year-old, she has started asking the dreaded three-letter word question. Why? Why has become a very common question in our home, and I have aged dramatically because why is usually followed with, I told you so. (laughs) And that has become my, my catchphrase with Ellie. Dad, why? Because I told you so. Because I said we should. All these questions when these questions come up, why do they happen? Because we're all in search of one thing, the truth. As I said, over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through the book. We're actually going to be going through the book of Galatians. And I can tell you right now that in six weeks, we aren't going to get to every verse, uh, but we are going to hit some of the key themes as we go through this book together, um, which is a, a letter from Paul to the Galatians. But before we dive in, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you use this time right now. Use me um, from the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart as we uh, spend time in your word. Uh, Guide us, Lord, um, in this time. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Which you'll notice on the screen, uh, our passage today is in the... If you want to open up the Pew Bible, you can. It'll also be on the screen. um, Or for the folks at home, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, But it's always good for us to dive into the paper book, occasionally. so um, But it's in page, and I can't even read that from here, 1809. So that's where you're at. So you can start flipping to those pages. But as we dive into Galatians, I'm just going to read the first couple verses, and they will not be on the screen. But it, the letter starts kind of as any other letter from Paul. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. "...to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen." Now, so far so good. This is kind of just your standard letter. It's just Paul saying hello to the the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you all, and praising God and and giving him glory." But then we get to verse 6, and Paul just dives right into it. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turned to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one he preached to you, Let him be eternally cursed. As we have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor as I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, right away, as this passage begins, Paul is just calling the Galatian church out. And he's pointing out the fact that they didn't just meander away from following the way of Christ, they quickly, quickly, just like that, deserted it and they turned to a different gospel. To give some historical context of what was going on in the Bible at that time, in the world at that time, Paul had heard that there was a lie, and that this lie was being spread around the churches at Galatia. And this lie was that Jesus wasn't the only thing that you needed to be saved. People were beginning to preach this, and they were preaching these other things, real important things that you had to do in order to be right with God. And Paul was a little ticked, and he was also very shocked that the people at the church were so easily enticed into believing that Jesus wasn't enough. But sometimes, sometimes we, today, we do the same thing. Today, we can get onto our our smartphones, or we can turn on the televisions, and we find hundreds, probably more than hundreds, of false gospels being preached. Some that say that Jesus isn't the only way that all religions are basically the same thing, or that Jesus would have been Republican, or he would have been Democrat, or he would have been Libertarian, anything, or in certain ideology, Jesus would have been these things. We have to remind ourselves that Jesus is, not was. Jesus is still alive. And so when we put these ideologies and these things on him, that's not the case. So many of these ways are that perversion that Paul was talking about when we read, read that in verse 7, and he states it so plainly, and I, I, I love his, his bluntness. He's just straight to the point. All these different gospels are really no gospels at all. Thank you, Paul, for just laying it out straight for us, not any confusion, straightforward, not gospels. So then we start to wonder, well, how could anyone preach a wrong gospel, or how could anyone even believe in a false gospel? Well, the first answer is an easy one that I think we can all say. We're human. <laughs> but the follow-up to that is that humans, we are born into a sinful world. And we have learned, and I have kids, so I, I don't mean to be mean about my kids, but they, we learn at a young age to be greedy, to be selfish, to be indulgent, and be manipulative. But we've also learned some other not-so-great things. We've also learned to fear. We've learned to feel sadness and loneliness, and so on and so on. This is a really uplifting sermon, by the way, today. But C.S. Lewis, I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan, and I love many of his books, um, but he put it really well in his book, The Screw Tape Letters, which if you're not familiar with it, quick synopsis, it's a book being written between two demons about a person that they're trying to win over to their side. And they call God the enemy and the Christianity the enemy. So as I read this short snippet, just to give you context, they're calling God the enemy. Obviously, he's not. But this is from the book. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy, against God. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. And we've all heard a false gospel at some point in our lives. Even when we're very young to as old as we can be, uh, we've heard something. And maybe we believed it because we were in a weak position. Maybe we were fighting fear or anxiety. In the context of this passage, the message being proclaimed to the church of Galatia was from Jewish Christians. This was early on when Christianity was just a baby religion. Um, and and growing, there were these Jewish Christians saying that they still needed to follow the Old Testament, the Torah. They still had to do all those, all the laws of the Old Testament to still to be a follower of Jesus. But then Paul comes in and he counters that in verse 6 by reminding them that they are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. In our world today, we are seeing the advancement of, could be that gospel, or it could be many different gospels. And just to name a few, we can think of the prosperity gospel, which is, if you aren't familiar with it, is a religious belief among some Protestant churches that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them, and that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. And unfortunately, and I had to do a little bit of Googling to make sure I had my my dates correctly. I think most of you can remember Jim Baker from the 70s and 80s. And even to today, we know of prosperity gospel preachers. I'm not going to name any names. Jim Baker is back in the 80s, so that's old news. Um, But we know today that prosperity gospel is still this thing that's so pervasive in our world. And this false gospel has preyed on so many people around the world over. And it's taking advantage of people's willingness to, to give and to do works. And they believe that if they do this, that they are protected by God. And I, I can speak for my generation; we're plagued by several other false gospels. And just to name one, the New Age movement that has blended other religions, Buddhism and Christianity, and even bringing in things from Islam. They they blend all these religions and philosophies, saying that Allah and God, oh, they're the same. There's no difference. You can read in the book, they're not that there's more one way to get to heaven. Or there's also the progressive gospel, and, and I don't, we don't have enough time in the day to, to go through all that, but it's simply saying that this is just a good book, that Jesus was just a good man, and that hell isn't real. It's scary to hear those things because that is stuff that is being preached in churches today. People can get on and listen to podcasts, they can listen to sermon snippets, they can watch it anywhere, and they can hear these things. And I know that today, I think eventually we're going to look back on this time in church history and see that the deconstruction movement that's happening as an anti-gospel movement. So many believers are walking away from the faith, and I've seen it happen in in friends and and family and people that I love and care about, that they were so on fire for God as a team, but they walked away from their faith because maybe they weren't, given the full gospel. They got the gospel light version that they know that God loves them and that they're awesome. Or maybe they were given a false gospel, whether it was, insert, a false gospel, one of the ones that I talked about. And it's so hard to see that happen. So what can we do? What can we as a church do today to prevent this from happening to to not just future generations, but inside our own church, from us falling into that same trap? How do we get ourselves back on the right track if we have started to stray. Simply put, we must get back to the true gospel. And we need to share it with everyone. So, you're probably wondering, okay, if all these other things aren't the true gospel, what is? And I'll tell you right now, this is Nate's distillation of of my studies and, and, and praying about it. This is the gospel that God created the world. The Bible tells us that God originally designed a world that worked perfectly, where everything and everyone fit together in harmony. And God created us for a purpose. He created us to know Him and to enjoy Him, to live and to bring glory and honor to Him. But if we look around at society, it is easy to see that humanity is not bringing glory to God. Rather, that there is a brokenness in the world, and we are the problem. We have not lived for God. We have not followed His rules and made up our own. We have not valued relationship with Him. And the Bible calls this sin. And it means and it means to run from God. It's driving us away from Him, trying to do life on our own way. And sin is taking the title of God and putting it upon ourselves. And it is because of sin that we as humanity have become hostile, not only towards God, but towards others. And the Bible says that the consequence of sin is death. Brokenness leads to a place of realizing a need for help, a remedy, some good news. God, because of His mercy and great love for us, did not leave us in our brokenness. He sent His Son. And Jesus was a solution to our sin problem. And Jesus came to us, lived a perfect, sin-free, exampling life by God's design, and willingly chose to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. He then defeated death and rose to life. And he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. This is the gospel that Paul is talking about. And not once, but twice he tells them, if anyone is preaching anything other than the true gospel, let them be under our God's curse. So that is Nate's synopsis of the gospel in 250 words or less. So, this, so we, we look forward because God, he's calling us back. He's calling us back to believe in the true gospel and living it out. But to do this, we have to start living a different life. And no, not a life focused on rules or works, but a life that at times is going to be counter to what the world expects of us. A life that is following God's call to live a life that gives Him glory in all we do, living a life of worship, in action, in speech, and in thought, as we pray, as we read our Bibles, and share the gospel with others. Doing life this way, it's pleasing to God and it drives Satan absolutely nuts to see us not giving into his schemes. When we are stuck in the endless loop of people-pleasing, we always end up hurting ourselves and those we are called to love. And God doesn't want that for us. And um, I have to tell you, when I was a bit younger, and I've, I've lovingly called this my BC days, it's my before Christine days. Um, if you haven't heard me say that, that's when I say my BC days. It's not before Christ, it's before Christine so, when I was a younger man in ministry, I was really good at saying one word. Whenever someone had a favor to ask or someone said, Hey, Nate, could you help me in this? I loved saying no. I was very fear filled in my life. I was afraid of giving of myself because I always thought people were trying to manipulate me and control me. And I had a, a good friend, he's one of my former pastors. He spoke into me one day and he said, Nate, you need to learn to say no in love. You need to learn to say no to somebody and not have it be harsh. You need to learn to say, no, I can't do this right now, or no, I don't believe that's the best thing for me to do right now. Not just, nope, not gonna do it. And I'm glad he taught me that because now as a parent, you know, I joked about why being the favorite question in our home. I have learned that with my kiddos, at times I have to say, no. And it's not no because I don't want to watch another episode of Paw Patrol or no, they don't need another princess gummy candy. I say no because I love them. It's not just because I'm tired. And that's what God, that's part of what God is saying, what we're reading in this passage is we have to remember that when we're saying no to people, it's because we love them, because we love God first and we want to follow what He has for us in our lives. And thinking of just giving God glory. One of the favorite church phrases that I, I learned a couple years ago as I started to study the Reformation more and understanding Reformed theology um, is something that I will slip into my prayers at times, and it's the, the phrase, soli Deo gloria, all glory to God. Church, living this life, we know it's not going to be easy, but is it really any easier living it any other way, not giving God glory in all that we do? So we're coming in for a landing, we're closing out this passage, and Paul talks about how he wasn't taught any of what he knows by man. He did not learn it from them, but he received it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we hear the word revelation, we know it's, we know it's a book in the Bible, let's unpack it a little bit. But looking up the meaning of revelation, in the original Greek, it's a super fun word, it's apokalypsis and I don't have a senior pastor here to correct me on my Greek, so that's as good as we're going to get. But what does it mean? It means an uncovering, an unveiling, or a disclosure. Now, throughout the New Testament, this word describes the unveiling of spiritual truth, the revealing of the Son of God, Christ's incarnation, and also His glorious appearing at His second coming. In all its uses, Revelation refers to something or someone once hidden, becoming visible. Now, we know in Paul's story, uh, as we read about it in Acts, uh, that he had a radical transformation happen to him by meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. But how do we have this happen in 2022? How do we have a revelation of Jesus Christ? It's by being in God's Word. We cannot expect life transformation to happen if we don't look to the One who transforms us, and it's in His book, we may not understand it the first time we read it, and I can tell you, I mean, I think most of us can say the first time we read Scripture, we're like, what does this mean? But we shouldn't stop coming back to it. A while back, I got a wow look from Johnny Eisen's, and it's a day that I will remember for the rest of my life that I made Johnny Eisen say wow. Uh, but I shared a quote with him, and I said, no man steps in the river twice, the same river twice. When we reread books, and like this summer I'm rereading The Hobbit. I read it as a teenager, I'm reading as an adult. We read books differently the second time, the third time, the fourth time that we read them. And when we do, we step away with new revelation from rereading it. So when we approach God's Word, we need to come prepared to step into that river, to, to dive into the Word and experience new revelations, and remember that God is always working on our hearts. Because God is the real deal. In closing today, I want to tell you guys one of my favorite church pastimes. And I grew up in the Methodist church, and there's one thing other than meetings. Um, Methodists are good at potlucks. Like, I remember most churches, we'd get done, and we'd be downstairs, and magically there would be a bucket of KFC chicken and coleslaw and all the different things. But one of my favorite things to eat as a kid was mac and cheese. And I I can tell my kiddos, I can tell you my kiddos love mac and cheese. But over time, there's been this thing that's come out called Easy Mac. And if you're not familiar with it, it's literally a little styrofoam cup. You pour the cheese powder in, water and you microwave it, and you get the saddest bowl of mac and cheese. And I'm like, I don't want that. I want the heart-stoppingly good, uh, just heavy cheese with the crumble on top. That's the mac and cheese that I want when I say I want that. And church, I know this is a corny way to describe it, but I want the real Mac. I don't want the easy stuff. When it comes to believing in Christ, I want the real thing. So many of us are done with that little sad prepackaged gospel. We want the real thing, and we want to believe in to believe in it because you know it's it's so much greater than just believing that God loves me and I'm awesome. We're seeing people. And I know I I said this earlier, but we're seeing our friends, our family, those in our lives go through deconstruction right now, and they're walking away from the church. And sadly, it's happening in a a place where they can't reconstruct. Now, some of us, maybe we have gone through our own little deconstruction, but what's so important is, is that we reconstruct, and that has to happen in the church. And the church has to be that place. And we have to become the place where we can wrestle with hard subjects, We have to be able to deal with doubt because doubt is going to happen. In church, we have to be able to deal with disagreements. We can't just storm off because we're ticked. We have to work together because that's what God is calling us to. And we also need to be in awe of God. We can't just be fighting. We also need to be in awe of God. And that's when we dive into his word and we see good things happening. Church is to be a place where there is a firm foundation on God's word. We're in a reformed church. That's what we stand on, God's word. And we also have to have the full realization of the true gospel. So church, I'm going to use my corny line, I hope you all want the real mac, the real mac and cheese. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we've come to you today wanting the real thing, to know you as best we can. And Lord, we know it's going to take a lifetime Several, it could take several lifetimes to get to know you, even just a little bit. And so, Lord, I pray for us that as we go forward today, that we are pursuing understanding your true gospel. That we not be learning from man, that we not tune into a, a podcast or a YouTube video or an article, but that we come to your word first to know you. There are so many smart people in the world that we could go to them, but Lord. Their wisdom and knowledge doesn't even scratch the surface on what is in your word. So Lord, help us as we do come to it that we're going to come with questions. We're going to come with doubts. We're going to come with things that we question ourselves and our world. Help us in the ways that we are breaking away from the old, our old lives. That just falls away. That the new life ahead of us, we can start pursuing that. and pursuing you, God, in your truth, not the world's truth, not our truth, your truth. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.